Hi, everybody. Welcome to Your Health Matters. My name is Abby Lee, and today we're going to talk about ears, nose, and throat. Oh, fun times. And I've never had an ENT on the, sh- on the show, so I'm super excited to have Dr. Christopher Tran, who's an ENT. And we also have Kara here as our, is my awesome, amazing co-host, who uh, I have to be honest, I really thought that you were going to have to take over today. I really thought I was going to have a baby by now. But I'm glad I didn't. The baby stayed <laughs> in. So here we are, which is awesome. So we're going to talk about allergies and sinus and thyroid, parathyroid. I'd never even heard of parathyroid before we started talking about all this. We're going to talk about Botox and minimally invasive salivary gland surgery. That's like a mouthful, but that sounds cool. And um, (laughs) I'm so interested to talk to you a little bit more about that. So Dr. Christopher Tran is an ENT with Bay Area ENT specialist. Thanks so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, so well, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself before we get into all of these questions? Because oh my God, the questions, especially <laughs> about allergy and sinus, everybody has questions about that. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, education, what yeah. makes you an expert in ENT? Okay, so uh, I'm originally from California. Uh, I did my undergraduate training at uh, USC, University of Southern California. And then I did uh, medical school at Meharry Medical College in Nashville, and uh, my residency training at uh, LSU in New Orleans. Yay, go Tigers! (laughs) I grew up in Louisiana, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so I joined uh, Bay Area ENT Specialists uh, back in August, um, and I've been there ever since, and uh, it's been great. Awesome. Well, awesome. Very glad to talk to you. So let's talk about allergies and sinuses first, because that's, I think, if you can hear it in my voice, I walked in, <laughs> when we walked in today, I was like, before we start talking, I need to go blow my nose. So I don't know if it, is it cyclical? I thought that it was like spring and then fall, but it feels like the summer, everybody's got crazy allergies right now. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, there are a lot of different types of, uh, allergies and you're right. There are seasonal allergies and then there's also perennial allergies, which means just all year round. Uh, so the perennial ones would be things like molds and dust, things of pets uh, that yeah. are all around all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, the seasonal ones, uh, typically in the summers, it's grasses. Uh, in the winter, it's mostly dormant, but you still have some things. Uh, in the fall, it would be um, uh, weeds, and then in the uh, spring would be trees. Uh, so. So if you have allergies all year long, do you recommend certain over-the-counter medications or treatments for people? Yeah, yeah. So uh, (laughs) as far as for uh, nasal allergies, um, the the mainstay of treatment would be, um, well, nasal saline. So nasal saline sprays and nasal saline irrigations, uh, as well as as far as uh, medication-wise, you can do topical nasal steroids. Um, would be my main preferred uh, Like Nasonex is what you're talking about, right? Yes, like Nasonex, Flonase, yes, uh, that group. Um, And then uh, you can also do some, uh, there are some uh, also topical or spray versions of antihistamines as well, Um, and then the oral antihistamines too. Okay, so someone that I know, I'm not naming any names, it's not me because I'm, I'm pregnant and I can't take decongestants, but someone that I know very well takes Allegra D like their Skittles every day. Oh, Tegan too! So how... for the win. 
<laughs> All right. So um, is it good for someone to take a decongestant that long? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think if you have to ask the question, then I think you already know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> They're not Skittles. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, no, it, um, that shouldn't be something that you you want to use every day, especially with the, the D component, um, and, and especially if you have a history of uh, high blood pressure or anything like that, because those kind of things can increase your blood pressure over time. Um, so yes, uh, there are a multitude of different medications that you can uh, use in addition to that or instead of that, uh, that may be as effective or more effective. Uh, and so maybe you can kind of so are you talking about like bit. trying Singular or Zizol or something different like that? Or what do you mean? Yeah, or uh, uh, I usually like to start with a nasal steroid spray. Um, and and I know it, sometimes it's a little bit harder to do because you actually have to spray something in your nose rather than just take a pill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the studies show that it's it's uh, when, when compared head to head, it's more effective. Yeah, than, uh, the oral antihistamines. My uh, my primary care told me that because you know I I always have something going on up here, mm-hmm. and he was like, you know, you should try Flonase or, or he's like, I've I've uh, written you a, a prescription for this. Are you taking it? And I was like, I'll take it for a couple of days and then I'll stop. And he's like, the studies show that it's so much more effective than taking medi- like an, a pill. And I was like, that much more effective. And he was like so much more effective. And I was like, okay, fine. He was like, why don't you want to do it? I was like, because I don't want to stick stuff on my nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I think that that's part of it. it it's yeah. just mm-hmm. weird to stick yeah, things up and, your nose. And and I think the other part of it is, uh, you know, some people have an aversion to like the moisture going in there uh, and things like that. There's actually a, a multitude of sprays uh, to where if you want something more dry, there are some aerosol versions. Mm. Uh, if you want something that is less drying, you know, there are different different brands and different uh, drugs that uh, would be more beneficial for different uh, people. Oh, all right. Well, maybe I need to come and see you because uh, <laughs> I don't you know. You need something. I need something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It might be just a pregnancy thing. I don't yeah, know. Maybe but... after the pregnancy. <laughs> what, what about natural remedies? Like some people say that if you eat the local honey, mm-hmm. that it helps. Mm-hmm. So is that true? Yeah. So there are some studies that uh, that show benefit with some of those uh, some of those things. Uh, honey is is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. Some people will put honey in irrigation and use it oh, as really? part of their irrigation. Like a yeti yeah. pot. Yeah, like a neti pot or they uh, put honey in that. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, yeah. Ow, that that sounds worse than Flonase. <laughs> it sounds sticky, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it does sound sticky. Well, but it works. Than the boogers yeah. already are, though. <laughs> <laughs> But honey does have an antibacterial effect too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. but does That's it why have the to be ancient local? Egyptians use them. Well, yeah, because yeah. if you're having allergies in your area, I've had I've had several honey. people talk. Oh, I've got this like special pure honey that. Yeah, uh, the one that has been studied often is uh, called manica honey. Um, hmm. So that's uh, just throwing that, that one's out there. just as good as local yeah. honey or better. You no. don't know, yeah, or you have no preference. Uh, I don't really have a preference. Okay, I would say I can yeah. get you some local honey from the food yeah. store. Oh yes, I know. I know. <laughs> My stepmom has honey, um, has bees. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Okay, so let's talk about balloon sinuplasty before we completely run out of mm-hmm. time on this first segment because we're going fast. So, <laughs> uh, when would someone need balloon sinuplasty? And you you do this procedure. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, balloon sinuplasty is essentially um, a uh, uh, it's essentially sinus surgery in that it opens up the openings of the sinuses. So the sinuses will drain out of small openings. And in people who have recurrent sinus problems, it's because the openings are so small, you can't drain it well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the purpose of the balloon sinuplasty is to use the balloon to dilate that opening um, to allow essentially better flow. Right. Um, is is the way that you know we explain it you know to patients so um essentially it's uh it's the indications are the same as for sinus surgery so yeah. um essentially you know recurrent chronic uh, sinusitis so uh, how often is that so my husband mm-hmm. had to have sinus surgery and he was having like a sinus infection once a month like mm-hmm. it was crazy yeah that definitely falls within the criteria okay. for, for that yes definitely um, yeah so there are there are guidelines for um for the classification of chronic and recurrent uh sinusitis but essentially the the thing that i'm going for is uh, the patient's symptoms and and how severe and how much quality of life um deficit that they're getting from their symptoms, mm-hmm. as well as from a CT scan. So uh, that's always important in in uh, determining what's appropriate for uh, for either balloon sinuplasty or a full sinus surgery. So what's the difference in the yeah. sinuplasty and full sinus surgery? Yeah. So the difference is is the balloon sinuplasty is you you uh, cannulate the sinus opening with a wire um, or or um, or an instrument and you pass the balloon over it and then you dilate the opening with a balloon. So you don't actually remove any bone or anything like that. Mm, okay. Now with the full sinus surgery, you actually go in there to where that opening is and you remove the bone around it um, in order to make that opening wider, essentially. Yeah, my husband yeah. had that one. And the blood <laughs> clot that they pulled out after his... Oh, <laughs> we talked about that a little bit earlier. That was so gross. Okay, so where do you do your sinuplasty and your sinus surgeries? So uh, most of these are outpatient. So okay. uh, they, they can be done at any facility, whether it's a hospital surgery center, uh, because patients go home the day of. Um, for the most part after these things. And you can't breathe out of your nose for like a week, That right? is not true. What? That is not what? true. So it used to be uh, back in the day that a significant amount of packing was done yeah. uh, after the sinus surgery. But nowadays with, uh, with the newer um, you know, equipment and techniques, uh, and then as well as uh, advancements in the actual packing material, um, a lot of the packing that's used now is absorbable. Um, and it doesn't need to occlude the nose. So uh, most patients uh, should be able to breathe well after, uh, after wow. having this done. And you put the tubes in, in their nose too? So not always. No. Oh, really? Not always, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I would say maybe about 10% of my patients will get a splint. I, I assume you're talking about the splint that's inside the nose. Uh, so sometimes people use tubes in there. Sometimes people use like a, what's called silastic sheeting, mm-hmm. which is like a pl- rubbery plastic. Um, and sometimes uh, that's indicated. You know, essentially I'll use that to help prevent uh, bad scarring. Um, but you don't always need to to do that. Interesting. Um, so a lot of times, um, you know, patients will 
will leave and they'll be able to breathe well through their nose and and, and they like notice that. a significant yeah. difference between before surgery and after surgery yeah so um you know we do in the office we always do um pre-op and post-op surveys um and these are validated surveys that have been studied uh, to show severity of sinus disease. And there's definitely an improvement there. Um, one thing that, that, uh, that you always tell patients, you know, you're going to expect to have some congestion feeling, yeah. uh, kind of like a head cold for a few weeks maybe after sinus surgery, but the actual breathing is going to be better. Um, because you're re essentially with sinus surgery, you're remodeling the inside of the nose so everything flows better. Cool. Okay, so yeah. I have a couple more questions for you about mm -hmm. sinuplasty and sinus surgery, but we've been out of time for a while. Yeah. So <laughs> let's go Let's go to break. We'll talk about that. And then we're going to talk about thyroid and parathyroid when we come back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Abby Lee, and you are listening to Your Health Matters. And I have Dr. Christopher Tran here, who's an ENT. And we just have so much to cover. Like, I'm sure that we could have like a two hour show. We're not having a two hour show today, but I'm just saying like we have so, we have a lot of, of yeah, I think that most people mm -hmm. have to deal with some of this stuff, at least in our family. We all do. If mm -hmm. you can hear it in my voice today. So if someone needs a sinuplasty or a sinus surgery, do you do these in your office? Yeah, so um, they uh, are eligible to be done in office or in the operating room, uh, kind of depending on the patient. Uh, you know, uh, patients who uh, anesthetize well, for example, under dental anesthesia are typically good candidates. Um, if you don't anesthetize well, it's probably not for you. Um, yeah. But it can be done in the office um, as well as in the OR. Okay, so um, let's talk about, uh, does insurance cover sinuplasty and the sinus surgery? Yeah, so um, essentially with, with the indications being uh, the same as sinus surgery, um, typically what we do is we submit all the paperwork ahead of time and we get the approval and proceed. So if you see like a bunch of crazy bones in there, you're like, no, you really need sinus surgery. And we got to take some bones out. <laughs> yeah, that's what we have the CT scans for. <clears throat> okay, so I have an allergy shot question. Yes. From someone, not me, but someone that I know, <laughs> asking for a friend. So someone ha is immunocompromised and can't take allergy shots. Is there anything that you would recommend to help them with their allergies? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, the therapies that we already talked about as far as the topical steroids and, and uh, antihistamines and irrigations and, uh, and all that, that would all still be valid. Um, Unfortunately, it's, it's a bad situation with uh, immunocompromised because the whole premise of um, immunotherapy is that you need the immune system to be working in order for it to be effective. Yeah. So unfortunately, uh, uh, from a immunotherapy standpoint uh, of that part of treatment, uh, that wouldn't be eligible. It wouldn't work. Yeah. Sorry, Ryan. Ooh, I didn't mean to call you out. <laughs> okay, so... When you said thyroid and parathyroid, I was I was like, "What is this? What parathyroid? I've never even heard of that." Is there anybody watching or listening that's heard of parathyroid before? That's interesting. You're did you ever did you know what parathyroid is? No. Okay, so I mean, I know that you have it, but like, I didn't know. I didn't even know that it was part of your body. Yeah. Like, I thought mm -hmm. it was a diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. 
away. Explain away. Yeah, so, so the thyroid, uh, as you know, is in the base of your neck. And so actually hidden behind the thyroid is your parathyroids. Usually people have four. Um, and they're little four parathyroids. Yes, okay. wow. and and so they're the, these little P-shaped um, glands that sit behind your thyroid gland, um, and what they do is they control and they help to control the body's calcium level. And so when people have um, you know elevated calcium for one reason or the other, um, then uh, typically they'll go see an endocrinologist who will help us to man- manage and diagnose uh, these, um, these, these things and then uh, send these patients to us for surgical management if it's appropriate. So what kind of signs and symptoms yeah. does someone have if they have higher, is it like hyper and hypoparathyroidism? Uh-huh. That's oh, right, that's hey. right. <laughs> <laughs> I was guessing on that one. <laughs> yeah, so from a, paras- a parathyroid standpoint, what we're typically looking for is a hyperparathyroid or um, what you would see is an elevated calcium level. Um, so there's a mnemonic in med school that, uh, that everybody in med school learns, uh, bones, stones, uh, groans and moans. Oh, okay. Uh, are the symptoms <laughs> that you get. Yeah, yeah. So, so if, if you, you have can, elevated th- uh, calcium. Yes. Okay. For elevated calcium. So, uh, bones. So, if you have elevated calcium, you're taking the calcium away from the bones. So, you have weak oh, bones. Oh, oh. Okay. So, you'll break them yeah, a little so bit. Yeah. So, like more osteopenia, okay. um, osteoporosis. Mm. Um, so, uh, so we said bones and stones, so like kidney stones, for example, <laughs> oh. so because you have high calcium, so yeah. you have deposition, right? So, um, so, so uh, if someone has had cal- or kidney stones, should they come and see you just to check if they have, like how? Well, I would say let's check with your, your primary care first because you need to get the labs to verify and then, you know, you could always check for parathyroid levels if that's really a concern. Um, uh, and then, obviously, obviously, if if you want to come to me, that's totally fine too. But, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, on on the spectrum of how we manage um, these issues, because it's very endocrine um, centered. Right. Uh, so we we work in an intertwined team with endocrinology and the primary care yeah. um, uh, specialists to uh, for them to to manage and uh, and help out with the uh, metabolic or, or um, you know the metabolic component and then uh, when it comes to the surgical component then we can help out there. Okay so we missed your moans and groans yeah. part though. Oh what yes. Is the, what are those? So, uh, so, so groans like abdominal pain and then uh, moans is actually psychogenic moans so you can have with, with uh, elevated calcium you can have like mental status changes. Huh. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. How would some how would someone know that it was their parathyroid that was doing that? Out of all of those symptoms, I mean, there's lots of different yeah. treatments or tests that pe- people could be given. Right, exactly. So essentially, what you're looking for is uh, blood testing to show your elevated calcium, mm-hmm. and then also uh, parathyroid. You can check the parathyroid uh, hormone level. So you'll yeah. usually get from an endocrinologist or like a primary care physician. Hey, this person mm-hmm. has a parathyroid. He needs surgery or she needs surgery. Yeah, type yeah thing. exactly. Um, uh, the other things in addition to that would be imaging as well, like ultrasounds. And there's some specialized imaging as well that, that can be done too. So how small yeah. are they? So they're typically uh, normal size. They're typically about the size of an eraser 
on the end of a pencil. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and they can grow, uh, depending on what the pathology is, they can grow to very large. Yeah. Interesting. So wow. what's the prevalence of people that have issues with their parathyroid? Uh, not very common. Um, uh, in the scope of things, if we're talking about all kind of diseases, but um, we see a lot of parathyroid issues in um, people with uh, renal problems. Uh, so that's a different kind of parathyroid issue, but uh, it's uh, more common in uh, you know dialysis and you know end stage renal disease patients. Um, and then uh, and then there's you know a few different things, but those that would be probably the biggest group of people who. Uh, we see as far as uh, parathyroid issues. So when you do surgery on these people, are you just going in through their neck? Yes, yes. So there's different, uh, there are some different ways to do it, um, but essentially you do go through the neck similar to a thyroidectomy. Um, uh, but the incision oftentimes is smaller. Uh, if you already know which gland uh, you're going to take out, you can yeah. plan to make the incision above where that location is, it can be smaller. So if you, yeah. so do people have issues with just one, but you take all four out, or do you just take the one that's being crazy? I was just gonna ask. That. That's a good. That's a good question. That's a good so question. Are you like trying to level it out? Like, well, let's, we just take two out, then yeah. <laughs> you'll be at the right level. Yeah. It'll be great. Well, that's a good question. Sometimes, if it's if if we know that it's one gland that's really big and producing a lot of hormone, then we can just take out that one. Um, but sometimes, for example, in the people who have end-stage renal disease and they have uh, a hypertrophy or growth of all of the glands, oftentimes we'll take them all out and actually uh, take a little piece of one and reimplant it somewhere uh, to where we can have easy access so that, um, one, so that they can keep some of the gland the and it can regain function, um, but two, we put it in a place that's easy to retrieve later so you don't put it back in the neck so yeah so some people will put it back into the neck like more superficially like closer to um the outside so it's easier to get or some people will put it in the forearm does it feel like a little rock no it's it's very so you (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i have no idea yeah when you take it out you uh you morselize it so you chop it up into little pieces and then you put it in there and so you just you just mark it with like a stitch or something so you know where to find it so it still helps regulate your calcium yeah by doing that yeah so so the thought is when you re-implant it uh that can once the blood supply grows back into it it can become functional again and and Hmm. and help with the regulation so if wow. someone has, so you said if they have too much, it takes away. So if they have hypoparathyroidism, mm-hmm. they have more calcium in their bones than what they need? Well, so like, yeah, that's you, okay. you could have, yeah, right. So uh, typically in those situations, um, we wouldn't be involved uh, because there wouldn't be something that is secreting too much. Uh, so unfortunately that would be, well, unfortunately, or fortunately, that wouldn't involve yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> Understand. All right, so yeah. we only have two minutes left, which is crazy. So let's talk about what you do for people with thyroid. What kind of thyroid problems are you treating? Yes, so um, there are a multitude of thyroid uh, problem, potential problems. So uh, the most common thing we talk about is nodules. Um, and so there's a whole uh, protocol on how to evaluate nodules and, and uh, how to manage them. But essentially, when it comes to uh, a surgical intervention, uh, we will remove nodules if they're suspicious or um, say if a biopsy comes back suspicious, 
uh, or for cancer or anything like that. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay. So let's quickly go over. So, you know, I, a lot of people have thyroid issues. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. are you prescribing people thyroid medication or is, or is that more of like an endocrinologist? Yeah. Uh, Typically it's the endocrinologist or the, uh, or the primary care. I was going to ask you if you liked Armour Thyroid better than the other ones, but. So Armour Thyroid, um, (laughs) I actually uh, did a bunch of reading on this uh, during uh, training. Um, but uh, so Armour Thyroid is the desiccated uh, thyroid extract from pigs, um, and and some people really believe that it is much more effective. And I think you know from what I've gleaned from what I've read about it, um, I've uh, what I've gleaned is that you know in, in patient it may be something that may be useful in patients who uh, test to have normal thyroid levels but are still symptomatic. Um, uh, so that's one kind of situation where I found in the literature it kind of supports that. Um, and then uh, also as an aside, that it may be uh, have it may have a higher association with uh, weight loss in comparison to the typical like levothyroxine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I've been on Armour yeah. for like ever. But yeah. th- I think that it can be a little controversial, especially with mm-hmm. endocrinologists. So I yes. just didn't know if you had a, yeah. a thought on that or not. Yeah. <laughs> I, t- I typically don't um, prescribe it. Uh, I usually leave that decision to the endocrinologist. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the endocrinologist will send patients to you generally if they're having more issues and they need to have surgery on their thyroid. Right. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So we, so in that kind of interdisciplinary team, uh, we we kind of manage the surgical component, and then uh, they manage the medical. So uh, we have a question on Facebook. What mm-hmm. about Nature Thyroid? Nature Thyroid. Um, have, what is the? What do you mean by that? Yeah. Or what <laughs> is the? Uh, is, is that, that a is that medicine? also a? Is that also an extract? I have no idea. I don't know. We'll, we'll ask her whenever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Let's yeah. figure. Uh, comment back about what you mean about nature of thyroid. And when we come back, we're going to finish that question and then talk about Botox and minimally invasive salivary gland surgery. I've never heard of the salivary <laughs> gland surgery <laughs> Me before. Neither. So this should be fun. We'll be right back. Radio done differently. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Abby Lee for Your Health Matters. And today we're talking with Dr. Christopher Tran, who's an ENT. Man, we've talked about so much stuff, and there's still so much more left to talk about. And um, I just wanted to introduce, just in case you guys are just tuning in, Kara is the other person in here. (laughs) She is my co-host, and she will be taking over for a little bit while I am on maternity (laughs) leave. I was really thinking that I wasn't going to be here today, honestly. I thought this was going to be all you today, Kara, but... Y'all got me again, score. (laughs) Okay, so we were talking about this nature thyroid thing. What do you you recommend? Uh, I'd I'd probably defer to my endocrinology colleagues for that one. Okay, and Carrie, you had a question about weight gain or loss? Yeah, so I wanted to know how much uh, weight gain really, like your thyroid really affects your weight. Like people that have hypothyroidism, if they're still heavy and they are on medication, what do they do then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, you know, whenever weight gain is, uh, comes into the con- or weight uh, issues come into the conversation with thyroid, um, I always you know tell patients you know there's a lot of things that uh, affect 
your weight. So thyroid is definitely one of them, um, but there are a number of other things, you know, all the things that you know about, you know, diet, exercise, and all that stuff too, um, as well as other hormones too. So, um, you know, you can have a hyperthyroid patient that is overweight and, and uh, vice versa. You can have a hypothyroid patient that is thin. Um, it's just uh, the, 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 uh, the extremes of the clinical picture uh, is typically depicted as the, the very thin hyperthyroid patient mm-hmm. and, the, and the overweight hypothyroid patient. But that's why it's important to, to make sure that everything is, is taken to a, into account. And I know this is not an issue for you, but when you have issues or problems with your thyroid, does it cause you to have problems getting pregnant? Because I've had a friend that had to um, issues. Yeah. She had to change the medication or something? And, well, they found out that she had a thyroid issue while she was trying to get pregnant. Oh. Yeah, so. Yeah, it wasn't my <laughs> problem at all. <laughs> I just drank the water. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, in, re- in regards to uh, pregnancy and, you know, and, and just thyroid hormone in general. So thyroid hormone uh, ends up affecting a lot of different hormones in the body. Uh, just as as it uh, as it circulates throughout the body, and so um, just like really any hormone, um, they're very interconnected, and so uh, an imbalance can um, can make it difficult. Um, in addition, if you do have um, um, offset thyroid levels, so either hyperthyroid or hypothyroid, that can uh, make uh, make for some complications during pregnancy too. So mm-hmm. definitely um, that's something that uh, is typically included in your routine um, uh, OB you know, workup mm-hmm. as you, as mm-hmm. you uh, go along that. What's the function of the thyroid? And what are signs and symptoms if someone has hypo yeah. or hyper? Yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> the way that I'll usually explain to patients um, as far as uh, a, a general a gist of how you can think about the symptoms is, is, uh, is you think of thyroid as, uh, as like an energy level kind of thing. So people with hyperthyroid have uh, the, the, the typical description of, of them is uh, things that are high energy. So um, like weight loss, uh, they can be, can get some, like agitation, you know, things like that. Whereas the hypothyroid typically uh, presents as uh, low energy, so fatigue, weight gain, things like that. Um, but that's not always true too. Uh, so for example, in, in the elderly, a lot of times it can be the opposite. Um, and so uh, if you do think that you have a thyroid issue, uh, definitely want to uh, you know, ask about it and, and, and get evaluated. Well, I always know when it's time for me to get my blood or my blood work done whenever I am cold all the time and tired mm-hmm. all the time. So mm-hmm. that's usually my like, all right, I, I cannot get warmed up and I've got <laughs> yeah. blankets everywhere and this is nothing else has changed. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's talk about Botox real quick. So are you doing Botox for wrinkles or for migraines? Yeah, so uh, personally, I'm I'm doing Botox mostly for dynamic wrinkles, so uh, wrinkles that are from like muscle movements of the face. Um, uh, I don't really do much uh, Botox for migraines, um, though it is FDA approved, um, and so uh, you know that's that's the and and you know anecdotally, I've heard stories <laughs> of of uh, people having improvement, um, but. 
I just yeah. personally don't. Uh, okay. Do Are you doing fillers too in your office? Yes, we do do fillers um, as well. Yeah. Oh, all right. I can't get any of that done while I'm pregnant. But. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and not while you're breastfeeding either, right? Uh. Oh. Yes. Yes and uh, no, I can. Yeah. Yay! I'm Uh-oh. gonna go see you. <laughs> no, I was, I was, no, yes, as in I agree. I agree oh, with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I would just avoid. <laughs> I would just avoid. I would just avoid. Uh, Don't as judge much my wrinkles. Intervention okay. during pregnancy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about for Botox and fillers that you do in your office? Uh, no, I think it's it's pretty much the standard uh, standard yeah. stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So let's talk about this minimally invasive salivary gland surgery. Mm-hmm. Why and when would someone even need this? Yeah. So uh, minimally invasive salivary gland surgery is, is something that's uh, relatively new in the field of ENT. It's been, it's definitely been growing a lot in in the past years. Um, but uh, you know, in the past, uh, for certain problems, uh, you would uh, dilate the salivary ducts. Uh, for example, if they were narrowed or constricted, uh, you could um, pass a wire and a dilator to dilate them so that uh, the saliva could flow better. Um, so now, with the improvements in technology, um, they actually we actually have uh, telescopes, so uh, rigid instruments with uh, with a camera in it that we can actually pass into the ducts and uh, dilate, um, you know, through the uh, through the telescope, uh, and also even remove stones. So uh, some people will get uh, salivary stones within the duct or within the gland, yeah. um, and some people will have the the strictures or the narrowing. Um, that and can the, you get these this things... to make you not have saliva or not have? <laughs> Why would you not want to have saliva? Or I mean, or to help you lose weight? Do people do that? Can you do that? Well, Does that make a difference? Well, Technically, no. I'll yes? answer those things separately. So. <laughs> I'm uh, like, can you do this on me? So I don't want hamburgers. <laughs> unfortunately, uh, so one we can. Uh, help patients uh, to slow down salivation, um, but typically that's something along the lines of, for example, Botox. So in in uh, some children uh, who have some uh, dev- developmental disorders, they salivate a lot. Okay. And so sometimes what we'll do is we'll actually Botox the salivary glands to help to uh, reduce, to reduce the salivation. <laughs> oh. um, we don't really do that in adults uh, <laughs> to, to stop salivation. And actually saliva forms uh, a lot, uh, saliva has a lot of good functions. It helps to keep your teeth clean and it's, it's actually got you know, some antibacterial properties. So, so you want the saliva. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so Just we don't- Just don't eat the burger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I ate one at lunch today. <laughs> I fully endorse eating burgers. Though. There's some dogs. Oh my god! All right, here's a funny question. If I want to spit really, really far, can I have that surgery? <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I would say sometimes in the post-operative period, after you dilate the uh, the ducts, uh, people do find it a little bit more easily easy to uh, gleek. I think that's the, oh, the term. Funny. The term. Uh, I haven't called, heard that yeah. since I was in high school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's been a long time. 
That's interesting. So what kind of signs and symptoms are these people showing to have to have this surgery? Yeah, so um, oftentimes what happens is uh, they'll get a uh, either an acute or a recurrent uh, swelling of the saliv- salivary glands. So the, f- the main salivary glands are in the cheeks and then under the jaws. And so um, mm-hmm. usually with, with eating, because eating makes you create saliva, and so when you create that saliva and it wants to come out, but there's either a stricture or a stone there that's blocking it, so you get a backflow, and so you, your salivary glands get enlarged. And it's typically very painful. So is it like chipmunk cheeks? It can be. <laughs> it can be, yeah. Yeah, but most of the time it's, like it's in here? the back of the jaw, oh. uh, back of the cheek. Oh, really? Big jowls? Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> or under, the, uh, under the chin. Interesting. On the sides, yeah. Hmm. Huh, okay. Yeah. Uh, you want to explain the surgery and why it's minimally invasive? You were talking earlier about how it's like brand new. So talk well, a little bit yeah, about so, that. So in the past, um, for, uh, for stones that are in the duct and things like that, either you had to uh, make a big incision in, in the floor of mouth to get the stone out, or, or if the stone was a little further back, you would actually have to go in and remove the gland. Um, and so a lot of times now, if if the uh, pathology is amenable, wh- whether it's a stricture or a stone, depending on the location and the size, um, you can actually do it all through the duct. Um, and sometimes you have to do a little more that's uh, like a combined procedure that's also in the, in the mouth as well as through the duct uh, that's in the mouth. Um, but a lot of times you can uh, prevent uh, having to do the major surgery like removing the gland. It yeah, has huh. a lot of uh, potential side effects and things like that. So um, if you can keep the gland, then, you know, that's that's great. It's better. Okay. Yeah. So, and you do tonsils and adenoids as like your second largest population of people that you see in your office. Is that, That's what you were saying earlier, right? Yes, yes. So uh, we do see uh, pediatric patients, um, so the majority of, of whom come to us for uh, hearing problems with uh, frequent ear infections, uh, needing, you know, possibly needing uh, tubes in the ears, Ooh. or with uh, chronic, you know, tonsil infections or adenoid infections, or even sleep related breathing problems, uh, mm. which in children, if you, if you uh, look at children and sleep-related breathing problems, uh, a majority of those problems can be resolved with uh, removing the large uh, tonsils and adenoids. Oh, my dad had um, sinus surgery to help him sleep better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the difference in, uh, in adults and kids is that in kids, removing the tonsils and adenoids is, is very highly curative of sleep-related breathing problems. Yeah. But in adults, there's more sites of obstruction. And so uh, oftentimes, there's, the nose is involved with obstruction or the back of the throat uh, outside of the tonsils and adenoids, too. So in adults, there's, there's a number of things that can help, too. Uh, but in kids, uh, the adenotonsillectomy is, is one of the, the big things that um, can be curative for I that. think he had a deviated septum. Do you fix those? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so I have a broken nose at some point. Do, can you fix my broken nose? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's many different ways to do so. Oh, okay. So uh, she's saying he had sleep apnea. So 
Mm-hmm. Do you do surgery? What kind yes. of surgeries do you do for that? Yeah, so it really depends on what's causing the sleep apnea. So like I was saying for um, now for kids and for adults. So for kids, most of the time, like I said, it was it's tonsils and adenoids. Um, but uh, <laughs> but for adults, um, it's multiple spots. So uh, if there's nasal obstruction, you need to you know treat the nasal obstruction. If yeah. it's throat, you need to treat. Uh, whatever it is back there. So there's yeah. different ways that we can see what's causing it. And then depending on what we see, we decide on the treatment pathway. All right. Anything else you want to talk about uh, sleep apnea or tonsils and adenoids before we go to break? Why do you do one and not the other? Remove one and not the other. Uh, remove one of? Tonsils versus adenoids. Versus adenoids. So depending on, on what's needed. So um, now for uh, if so for sometimes uh, if you have chronic tonsil infections mm-hmm. and you'll, uh, but you also have uh, nasal breathing issues, so what you do is you'll remove the tonsils and then you'll look at the adenoids and if they're big and look like they're obstructed, ob- obstructive, then you'll remove them because the adenoids sit in the back of the nose. And so if you have large adenoids, even if you can breathe well through your nose anatomically, the, the adenoids can block that air in the back of your nose. Oh. And hmm. so um, you'd want Something to take that changed. out if, if so. All right, cool. We're going to have to go to break. And when we come back, we are going to learn all about Dr. Tran. So you guys stay tuned. <laughs> hi, hi, everybody. Welcome back. My name is Abby Lee, and you are listening to Your Health Matters. Today we have Dr. Christopher Tran, who's an ENT. And uh, this is one of my favorite segments of the show because people really get to know you as a person. And through the whole show, really, they get to know you and they're like, yeah, I would like to go to this guy. So it really makes it more personal because most people, when they go to see you, aren't going to ask all of these questions and really get to know you because they're going in for themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So, And we also have Kara here, just in (laughs) case y'all didn't hear me the last time. She's my co-host, and she she may be here next week. She may not. She, I, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with this baby in the belly. And you don't, and it looks, hey, we made it three segments, and no contractions, so you don't have to deliver a baby on the radio today. So we're good. Okay, so uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Why did you become, why did you want to become a doctor? So, uh... Growing up, I had uh, a number of cousins, like older cousins, who were physicians. And so I kind of always had that exposure. Um, so I, I was always interested kind of in medicine. Um, it was either medicine or teaching, which are very similar. Um, yeah, but, because you're uh, educating people all day on yes. what their problems are. Yes. Basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. actually, I think the, the root word of doctor is actually teacher. Too, oh, I think, hey, I think. that's cool. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I did have that exposure. And then actually um, what kind of uh, prompted me to want to go into a surgical field was uh, uh, I had an experience in high school where I had a perforated appendix. So I had actually ended up having to have multiple surgeries because of this. Mm. And so um, the 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 um the realization that um you know you can do so much for a person with surgery kind of uh dawned on me during you know that time period um so uh but it wasn't really until medical school that i decided i wanted to do ent uh towards the end of medical 
medical school actually um, uh, at Meharry Medical College there was a uh, there was a physician who uh, who is he was essentially retired he was a retired ENT uh, but he came back to help out and and he had like some clinics and some procedures and everything was really hands-on so like everything uh, in the clinic you could do so much for a patient in the clinic um, and and uh, as well as in the operating room so uh, that really hands-on um, uh, component of it, and how you got to play with all these neat tools and everything <laughs> like that—that that really, that really and did do it some for gross me. things yeah. too. Yeah, you gotta like gross stuff. stuff. Well, listen, listen. The gross things are the most gratifying things. <laughs> oh my uh, god! You can. I'm so glad that you do that and not me. I would not be able to do that. <laughs> you know, you know, all those people on YouTube that look at the like the pimple popping yeah, videos, oh the ear wax removal videos. Do you have those on YouTube? Uh, I don't, but <laughs> but we do it every day in the clinic, and and those are. One, those are really rewarding to do, and they're and usually the patients are so uh, ecstatic to have them done because it's a huge relief. Mm -hmm. you I'm know? sure, yeah. 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 So, what's the craziest so. thing you've done? Oh my gosh, uh, there's there's. Do I, I, so I don't many. even. I'm afraid to ask <laughs> no, that. There's, 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 there's so many. There's so many crazy things. Yeah. Insects in the ear. <gasps> oh wow! Like, oh, my, like yeah, spiders just, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, spiders. You know, cockroaches. <gasps> Uh, bees. Oh my goodness. Uh, Did know, it sting like them? That. No, it, it, actually, by the time I saw you know, this patient, uh, the bee was already dead. Passed. It was already dead. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. But then so, you know, there's there's so many there's so many things. Do they just come yeah. in and say my ear hurts, and you're like, most oh, of the time yeah, for those, you have a spider or a bee in your ear. Yeah. Well, <laughs> most of the time for know. those they know. Most of <laughs> the time for those they know. Yeah. yeah. How do you get in? How do you get that? Um, Hey, I, I don't even these, want to ask. A lot of insects they can't they can't go backwards, and so if they can't get turn in, around, they can't turn around. Oh, and so they have nowhere else to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my gosh! If there's something yeah. that Abby is fearful of, I think that's probably one of them. <laughs> Crazy. Okay, so of uh, are there any other surgeries that you do that we didn't talk about? Um, I'm trying to think. Where do you do, do all of your surgeries? Uh, we, I do uh, surgeries primarily at Houston Physicians Hospital. Uh, we also operate at a few different surgery centers in the area, United Surg Surgical uh, Center, uh, Southeast, uh, Bay Area Surgical Care. I also uh, operate at uh, Clear Lake Regional and uh, Methodist St. John too. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So l l I know that you hinted on a couple of these earlier at the beginning of the show, but why don't you share uh, your background in education, real quick? Yeah. Um, so, uh, like my uh, like my personal education. Uh, well, where you went to school for <laughs> okay. medical and all okay. of that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I was uh, born and raised in, in Southern California. Uh, I went to the University of Southern California. Go Trojans, right on, <laughs> uh, for undergraduate, um, which was an exciting time. And then uh, I moved over to Nashville uh, for medical school, where I went to Meharry Medical College. And then after that, I went to LSU New Orleans for uh, ENT residency. Oh, that's where you did your residency. Yes. Oh, Dr. Sebo went there, too. Yeah. Uh, yes. 
Some crazy things happen in it. He was he was here last year. We were talking about uh, Mardi Gras and all of that. So Uh, fun times. (laughs) (laughs) Hey Kelly, nice to see you on, girl. Okay, so uh, why did you choose Texas after? I mean, you went from California to Nashville (laughs) to New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, So my fiance at the time now married. Yeah. So my fiance at the time. uh, has lived in Houston for about nine years or so, and so that was the the first. She draw. wanted to move to Texas. Well, she she already, she already lived, lived in Texas. She's like, so uh, Texas I think is where that it's was, at. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so that was the 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 initial pull, and then actually, uh, when I was looking for jobs uh, after residency or during my last year of residency, one of my mentors uh, knew. Uh, one of my future partners cool and so uh, she actually set us up together and we met and it was a good match so the Bay yeah, Area is where you're supposed to be yeah. mm-hmm. Bay Area ENT specialist <laughs> that's awesome so what are your hobbies what do you do for fun uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get a lot of flack for this <laughs> so um, so uh, recently I've been uh, so I'm into a lot of things but recently I've been trying to grow um, avocado seeds, uh, or grow avocado yeah. plants from seeds. That's oh. awesome. Uh, so that's that's been my recent. Yeah. So I have uh, I have three you know, tall plants uh, currently, and some kind of uh, in the hydroponic uh, little growth system wow. thing. Oh, cool. Um, so have you eaten any? Well, so this is this is where <laughs> this is where I'll get the flack is that uh, it takes about three to five years oh to my. get fruit. Oh wow! Yeah, so (laughs) it takes a while. Yeah, Yeah, just like we have a really mature lime tree, and it's mature, and we get lots of limes. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, before we go. Why don't you tell everybody (laughs) your office location and how they could contact you if they want to make an appointment? Yeah. So uh, our office is Bay Area ENT Specialists, and uh, it's located at uh, Houston Physicians Hospital uh, on the third floor. So the address is three 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 North Texas Avenue. Uh, Webster, Texas, 77598. Um, and so we're, we're on the third floor, and um, we're pretty good with getting patients in to see us um, even same day or next day appointments. Um, and so really the best way to do that is to call. Um, we're also revamping our uh, website, so um, soon we'll have a pretty good uh, system for making online appointments as well. Awesome. Sounds good. Anything else you'd like to say before we go? Uh, Well, thank you for having me today. It's it's (laughs) been fun to chat with you guys. Yes, it has been fun. And Mm -hmm. uh, thanks so much for coming. You guys, uh, if you're listening or watching, come back next Tuesday at 4. You might have Kara. You might have me. We'll (laughs) see. We'll talk to you guys later. Have an awesome day.